1: You spell it with a K. you, Mike. Take it easy. Welcome to another episode of the Front Row Material Brand. My name is Mike Freeland. I have another interview this evening. I'm excited about this. It is very interesting to talk to the different creative minds in the world of wrestling and how promotions get started and what our things are like in the infancy days. We get to talk to somebody who is a huge part. Joe Kim Morales is going to be with me today. We're going to talk about how the company actually got started, his involvement with it. But in addition to all of that, we're going to talk about his love for pro wrestling. What kind of got him interested in wanting to be a part of the wrestling business and some of his earliest memories. So with that being said let's go ahead and let's go ahead and bring him on in how you doing how are you sir i am good so let me ask you this before we get started what kind of got you interested in wrestling
0: uh pro wrestling or independent wrestling i think there's a big difference like mainstream pro wrestling
1: or independent pro wrestling let's just start off with 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 regular wrestling mainstream wrestling
0: um It was just kind of one of those things I came across uh, as a young child. Um, You know, I had older cousins and family that was into it. Uh, I saw it on, I believe it was Fox on Saturdays. A couple of old tapes, like AWA, and um, I think my earliest memory is uh, Savage versus Santana in uh, the Boston Garden, I want to say. I I believe that's it. Yeah, it was a an IC title match way back when I know the finish was uh suplex into the ring. Uh, and I think it was Sherry who held the foot down for the three. So Match can go over, <coughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that was it. You know, the larger than life characters, you know, just how elaborate everything was. It was it's just, just glued, glued to the television.
1: Was there anybody that you used to enjoy it with at that time? Was there anybody you would, you know, cousins, um, siblings, neighbors?
0: So, I would catch it occasionally with my neighbors, uh, my grandfather, and just honestly, mostly my friends and my cousins. It was never like any one specific person until I got older. Um, it was just around, you know, whoever was around and interested.
1: Did you ever think at any point in time that that would be something that you would end up getting involved in as as a youngster, or was it just something that you were just really enjoyed and you thought ah maybe one day, or was it something that never really crossed your mind at the time?
0: Um. <coughs> Growing up, it was not, like, to me, it wasn't something that it was achievable, I would say. It was just, like, it was definitely a form of entertainment. Um, and as I hit, you know, my early 20s, it, it kind of seemed less and less possible. Um, it's wild now. So WrestleMania 31 was in San Jose, and I was with a friend uh, in Vegas, and we were going to drive up for the show. And I totally forgot this, but she had reminded me that, um, on the drive, I had said, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't even know why, but I'm gonna be involved in pro wrestling at in some capacity. And think about a year or two later, I was in it. <laughs> it was just one of those things, it was just and then when it, like it happened, she had to remind me, Hey, on that drive, you said you'd do it, and look, you're actually in it. And I had I totally forgot. Um, I don't know, I don't know if I if growing up, I ever ever crossed my mind to be in it, but I know that. When I had told her, remembering when I had told her, it was just something like things haven't really gone to where I wanted them to be in life. So why not try? And yeah, we are where we are now. because.
1: Now, I know there's some stories about how Battle Club, everything, you know, kind of got started and whatnot. But kind of tell us the the introduction of that. What was the the first uh, stepping stones with all that? I know that it involved uh, at the time another partner and you wanting to be involved with it him not wanting you to take a financial risk in the whole thing, but yet still being involved in it. So for everybody who might not know the story completely, what was the first conversations about this?
0: So um, back in 2016, uh, let me go a little further back. So in 2012, I created a Facebook group, and it was predominantly supposed to be about the things you enjoy about pro wrestling. I noticed at the time, and it's crazy how things haven't changed, but a lot of wrestling fans just seem to be really bitter and they're always pointing out what they don't enjoy or don't like about wrestling. So I was gonna be like, all right, I'm gonna start this group where we're just gonna talk about the things we like about wrestling. <laughs> Ironically, what ended up happening was constant arguing between myself and who the person who would originally found Battle Club, Carlos Aristi. So yeah, so from like 2012 up into 2016, we would sporadically argue, and then we'd have these kind interactions. Uh, he would train on and off to be a wrestler. Um, And me just, you know, constantly watching the business, you know, just loving it at the time. So he, you know, he trained, he realized it wasn't for him. He realized that high level production was missing at the time. So he got into that um, and he did a few shows with his own crew and he realized, hey, this looks like something I could actually do. So he had came up with the concept. He came up with Battle Club Pro. His original mission was to just bring really great wrestling back to the Bronx. And he had reached out. This is 2016 now. He had reached out to me. He was like, hey, I'd, I'd love for you to be on commentary. It seems like you know what you're talking about when you have these discussions uh, on the Facebook group with me personally where the case may be." So I say, yeah, because it was an opportunity. Uh, not really believing at the time that it's legit you know it's just like yeah probably not gonna go through but you know whatever if i say yeah and it works then it works um then i started seeing match graphics and posters and i'm like oh this is real this is actually happening so i had reached out and i was like hey i don't just want to be on commentary like i'd like to be in a higher position i'd like to be a partner what is what is it that i can do to prove my worth and and show you that I'm, i'm with you on this and he had put me onto his production team then we started filming wrestling go to different shows jersey um different parts of new york um filming places like uh, fiesta pro wrestle pro tier one and yeah it just became one of those things where if he needed me i was there didn't matter what it was whether it was production moving a ring you know putting up flyers like anytime anything had to do with battle club i was there didn't Make a difference.
1: So when you first heard the concept of of Battle Club and you're all about it, you're wanting to be a part of it. Had he ever met you or had you guys ever spoke on the phone or was it just all in this uh, group chat about what you – and he just offered you the gig like right there? once did that seem kind of suspicious to you like wait a minute is this guy on the up and up or had enough time (laughs) passed and you said okay we i kind of got a feel for this guy or did somebody you you had have thought we've never talked on the phone before
0: (laughs) well at this point it was four years of knowing each other roughly roughly four years so i knew he's a real person i had you know i knew it was it was legit you know i seen you know the posts of his wife i think he had a yeah his, his child was very his oldest child was very young at that point so i knew he was real he was also a friend of my cousins who had brought him into the group so like i knew he was a legit person but we've never met we didn't meet the first time we met was in august uh and we went to some festival in the bronx right off of longwood avenue i believe it was the first time we ever met we just went to hand out flyers and we didn't know it was a not for a non for non-for-profit kind of thing going on so police asked us to stop handing out flyers he's like hey there's no solicitation going on because it's not for profit this is all church based or whatever so you know we politely asked if we could just finish what we had in our hands and go from there he goes all right i'll let you just finish up what you guys got in hand um and yeah that was the first time we met and then from there it was just like i said anytime any he needed anything for Battle Club. I was there.
1: Did you feel like you guys, once you you finally did meet, you kind of, the uh, you gelled. You gelled just as much as you did in the chat room.
0: We gelled very, very, very well. It was really awkward because, like I said, <laughs> in social media, it was a lot of bickering. There were very few instances of, you know, of kindness and, and just, you know, uh, appropriate, you know, interaction. It was a lot of bickering, a lot of arguing, a lot of, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but when we met. It was really good. Relationship was just like instant, like, hey, friends, like we've we've known each other forever. And then from that point on, I think there was only one time where I could remember us disagreeing on a creative direction for the company. Ultimately, it panned out uh, in his favor. And that's the way the direction went anyway. So it was fine but I can only ever really remember us having a disagreement once. I'm very of the mindset that like, if it makes sense and it's presented the appropriate way, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll shoot for it. You know, I'm not going to hold the pen so tight to the vest that no one else can maybe put their input with uh, creative direction. So yeah, it was, it was just really, really smooth sailing the moment we met forward.
1: So you guys meet, you're passing out flyers. There's chemistry there from the, the chat, and then you're doing some some commentary, and had you ever previously done anything like that before, or was nope. it just, hey, I know wrestling, I feel pretty comfortable with it, here's the show rundown, and here we are.
0: So, no, I've never done anything, anything like that. He believed in me. I... I don't think I've said this in a, on a podcast before, but he's believed in me more than anyone else has. And he's done so since day one. And he's been very, very, very like adamant that you have what it takes to be successful in this business. Even when I don't see it in myself, he has been like, you got this, dude. You got it. You got it. You got it. So that was that's always very refreshing, even on the sporadic times where I'd reach out and I would just thank him for whatever reason, just. Just hey, I'm still grateful for every jump back on me. Like you got this, you don't got to thank me anymore. You got this, you can do this. This it seems to be what you were put on this planet to do. Um, but no, it was just he was very organized. He had notes. He had the show written out. He had told me points he wanted me. He wanted me to get across. He partnered me up with someone who was doing commentary. Uh, for a while at the time. So I just, you know, stood home, studied commentary, studied the wrestlers that were going to be on the show. And I tried my best to do my best. Your first few times are never your best. If that's why they're your first few times. I feel much more confident in my commentary now. But at the same time, since there's so much else going on, sometimes I feel like, oh, it suffers a bit because I've got to do A, B, and C. Um, that has become easier with the partnerships I have now with Ray Red and Janelle Garcia. Um, you know, they've taken a lot off my plate. Little thing, Red with, you know, merchandising and apparel and just like being able to take care of the, the money, the door security wise, like I can defer to him and he's always got that down pat. And Janelle with, you know, looking for sponsors and being organized in terms of, how the budget should break down like that stuff has been taken off my plate and i feel like once that has been i feel like my commentary level has gone up it seems easier especially now that we have the wrestling school fallout shelter like there are more bodies to physically help set things up it's not just me and a couple of friends and whatever wrestlers decide they want to show up early to be helpful um so that is that's become a lot easier um but yeah yeah it was never it's never something I dabbled in until Battle Club came to be. Uh, and then from that point on, I've done a bunch of other companies. Um, Wrestlers Lab was the first company to trust me to do commentary alone. I love those guys. They were, they were freaking great for giving me an opportunity. 5 Girl of wrestling predominantly on the south side of Brooklyn. They had me do commentary a few times. That was fun. Um, but, yeah, it was all brand new to me until Battle Club was born.
1: So you're doing all these different things, but yet you still have a thirst to do more. It's unique because the people we've talked to before usually pick one specific thing to do, but you seem like you are very much a go-getter. So, what other aspects before you even said, "Hey, can I do more?" Did you have your mind set on? Was there anything in particular that you thought, you know, what I think I would be really good in this area? Uh, obviously, in addition to commentating, but I think I could really do really well doing this.
0: I never handled a camera like professionally before. Until I got with Carlos and he put me on to do, first it was hard cam. Um, then it was ringside when his original videographer backed out for personal reasons. But then I, like, I went from hard cam to doing ringside. And then I really enjoyed it because then it became a kind of a, my own game of, can I predict the spot? What's going to happen? Can I get the shot clear? Can I get the shot right? But I really started to do that. Then I really started to like look into production. And then when I got with, Tony DeMasso, who used to do all of NYWC's production, all that stuff during their, like, heyday when, you know, Whipwreck and Nice was running through there. He was doing that. He was doing their website. He was doing all their production. He had shown me another level doing video. He, he really sat me down and put me through a, catch, a crash course to do, like, how hard cam should work, how the pros do it, the E, you know, when it comes to ringside, like, yeah, you just between those two is like I gained a love and a much higher, you know, level of appreciation for video. Um <clears throat> commentary led to my love of doing booking and creating matches that I think work really well, you know, studying somebody and trying to figure out who in contrast of their styles would make for a really good match. And then ultimately, like all those things together, the idea to come up with a wrestling school was like hey, I could really create change in this business that has some really dark spots. And the best way to do that is to have kids that are coming up get taught the appropriate way to do things. So like all of that came from the commentary gig. And it all is, those are all things that I feel like I really enjoy doing and I really excel at and I want to continue to learn. I'm always asking for, it's weird to, when people ask me for advice and it's just like, oh, I'm just going to tell you everything I know, but I'm always trying to pick brains of people that I see are doing well or that I trust. And it's fun. It's fun. Cause it, it doesn't stop. It always changes. You know, matches that work this year, didn't work two or three years ago. Matches that work now won't work two or three years from now. So you've got to adapt to what the crowd is like, you know, the crowd likes and you've also got to adapt to what your specific crowd, you know, enjoys because your crowd might not be the same crowd that enjoys, you know, high flying uh, action or your crowd maybe prefers hardcore stuff. So like, you've got to kind of, you know, where your location is, where you're running out of the people that are attending, like it all plays into it. So you've all got to kind of, you know, learn how to adjust on the fly. And that's always kind of been something I feel like, i'm good at is just figuring things out when they need to get figured out and if they don't figure out how can i fix it after it's been messed up like those kinds of things but yeah my my love for production for audio for video for matchmaking that all just stemmed from commentary and believing that i something i could do it's definitely something i enjoy doing even when those mishaps happen where i oh this match has to change or, you know, during the show, oh, X, Y, and Z is going on, so now matches have to be switched. Like those adjustments on the fly are great and they keep you on your toes, but at the same time, it's really tough.
1: So when it was just you and Carlos in the beginning there was a lot of obviously things that needed to get done such as booking people and you know what the budget is going to be like, as far as how much you can afford to pay X, Y, and Z, the venue codes and restrictions for the buildings. Did you find that in the beginning was kind of overwhelming? Like, Oh my God, there's 9,000 things that I have to do before we even consider selling a ticket. So kind of walk me through at least your experiences of, okay, how do I even start contacting people? Because this is so fresh. This is so new. Maybe somebody doesn't know who I am. What was your philosophy on approaching people, or was that more of what Carlos would do?
0: So he he slowly brought me along. It wasn't one of those situations where he just like, hey, kid, it's all yours now. Figure it out. As the events happened, you know, book a match here, book a talent there, reach out to a talent here, see if you can get X, Y, and Z to sponsor. So it was like steps. It was every it was little steps with everything that goes into a show. Um You know, like I said, talent, a match, and then sponsors, and then buildings, um, figuring out NISAC regulations. Things along those natures came slowly. How many tickets do we need to sell for this show? This show's going to be what it needs to be. If we have a locked-in budget in mind, who can we get to be on the show and still fit within those parameters? So he brought me along slowly. What I'm seeing now is a lot of people are going headfirst into it, which is great because sometimes the only way to learn is just jump right into it. But I feel like slow and steady is the best approach, learning how to do it your way and not necessarily be a copycat of someone else because, you know, you are who you are and there's no hiding it. You can do something like someone else, but you can't ever copy someone else perfectly. So I'm always a proponent, especially in a way tell the students at the school when it comes to bookings and stuff go slow chill out there's no need to rush one step at a time
1: did you guys have a, a vision with with battle club about this is what i see other promotions doing this is how we can make ourselves stand out from everybody else was there any conversations about okay maybe if we do this a little bit differently this will make us stand out or was that just a simple conversation of you know what let's just try to book the best shows at competitive right, rates and, and make people want to come back? Or is it more along the lines of that? It was a
0: mix of that. We're booking the best show possible at, you know, something that is affordable, reasonable for people to keep coming back. And it was to showcase, originally it started just, you know, minority talent. Let's put them in a little more prominent positions, especially for the area and the time. Um, but as we progressed it became the focus became more about let's along with showcasing minority talents let's be a promotion that really 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 does focus on women's wrestling you can see the shift if you go back in 2016 2017 2018 you can see the shift it slowly progresses to where women's wrestling is almost 50 50 every battle club show with along with men's wrestling um and that's just something that myself and carlos had in common because we were both raised by our mothers and grandma, It was like, things needed to get done. A woman got them done. Let's be the place that does that. Like, Shimmer's been a thing, Shine's been a thing, and uh, uh, women's uh, wrestling, like, on the West Coast, uh, I'm botching the name, but like- Wow, or? Yeah, wow. Like, those things have been around, but they were never predominant in the Northeast, New York and New Jersey specifically, so we wanted to become that place we set out to make it, we made it a point for the first title to be introduced to be the women's championship because we wanted that to be like, Oh, okay. They're legit about focusing on women. Um, and then, you know, from that we started running, you know, occasional all women's shows. Um, and yeah, like I said, and I've said it a bunch and it's just, it's nothing against anybody. It's just the thousands of promotions, but How many of those promotions are genuinely putting on women's wrestling, are genuinely putting on people of color on their card, not just for the token spot, in actual spots. So it's like, oh, we can do that in the Northeast and be legit about it every single time out. Then we can not only stand out, but still accomplish the mission of being competitive with our shows and being affordable and reasonable for fans to continue
1: to come back. When it comes to, you know, putting a a wrestling promotion together, obviously there's a a business model and you said before, you know, you go into a show and you say, this is what our budget is going to be. This is what we need to do. Obviously X amount of people are going to cost this much to put on a show. So there's obviously the logistical aspect of that as well. What do you do when it comes to a situation of, you know, you had mentioned earlier about there's other people now who take things off your plate that you trust that I know they can do this or I know they can do that. How hard is it uh, to build up trust, especially in the wrestling business when a business is so difficult to, to begin with, but yet also in so many ways, let's be honest, it is also a cutthroat business. Um, How does, how do you determine trust with people, especially when they're no pun intended in your inner circle, when obviously you run the show, you got to make sure you trust people.
0: So, the thing that Red and Janelle have in common is that they have both been part of my circle and people who are who have been trustworthy with uh, for me before wrestling was ever a thing. This year marks 20 20- Two and a half, maybe twenty three years that I've known Red and 10 years that I've known Janelle. And both have been in situations where it was like, I don't really like to ask for help, but if I ever did, there was always one of those, it was always an answer of of course. So it was easy for me to trust them in those aspects because, like I said, you know, on a personal level, if I ever absolutely needed something that I couldn't handle myself and I reached out to them, they made sure it got done. I've tried trusting other people in wrestling before. And it has cost me several thousand dollars, several thousands of dollars. Um, Ironically, that person has magically reappeared after a few years. Um, That's a different story for a different day. (laughs) But, you you know, you try to trust people. And like you said, it's a very cutthroat business. But the thing is, it, it doesn't need to be. And I think too many people get brought up. And this is going back to the fallout shelter and wrestling school in itself. People get brought up to think you have to. It's competition. You have to cut people off and, you know. At any chance you get and it doesn't need to be like that there's so much abundance in this vast land that we call america there's more than enough money there's more than enough people there's more than enough places for everyone to be successful and to be perfectly honest none of us are going to outdo the wwe on this level at this point so why try to be the top dog and if the point is oh i'm going to be the top independent promotion you're still not on tv so you're still not the top promotion. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's no, levels. That makes to sense. Tough. Right. So why try to cut everybody else off when you still can't make that jump? No matter how good you do, there's still jumps that you can't make. Um, and it's not a, it's not me saying that in the sense of trying to hold people down. It's just like, no, if everybody comes up together, then it becomes easier for everyone to level up. And then if everyone levels up, now everybody's starting to get on an even playing field, then the competition becomes more legit. Well, then you're forced to continue to grow. So now if everyone's growing and everyone's succeeding, unfortunately there will be instances where people don't match up or whatever the case may be. But those people who are legit and genuine and have a, a meaning behind what it is they do, other than lining their pockets, everyone should be doing well, everyone should be succeeding. So why is the automatic response to everything cutthroat? You know, it's gotta, it's me, it's, 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 it's always me and never you. Like, I don't, I'm not in this to to, to get rich. I say it all the time, and like I'm very honest and open about it. I want to see others succeed in on this platform because it's something I love, and I feel like if I do enough of that, it will change the game in a much better way.
1: With the advancement of, well, I mean, obviously 2016, there was definitely social media and whatnot, but like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and... All of these platforms really you can become a, a global presence really with many of these independent companies because of the use of the fact that those media platforms allow that. Mm-hmm. Title Match Wrestling allows that now. So when we talk about you know garnering an audience or garnering sponsors or getting people to recognize your brand, talk to me a little bit about how social media definitely is a positive thing for the independent world as opposed to maybe let's say in, you know, t- to around 2000 where you didn't really have all this stuff and it was really just word of mouth. How great is it now to be able to say, okay, we did this show. We can go ahead and promote it. We can put clips up. How do you guys utilize the social media aspect to kind of grow the business?
0: Social media is great for promotion. It's a wonderful promotional tool. Just like with everything, there are, Downs to it, but I'll, I'll, here's a perfect example of how well social media can work. May 2021, Harlow O'Hara and B Young, crazy crucifix spot from the apron to the floor. That spot goes viral, and and this is just not this is not me taking a shot or anything. Regardless of how much. It doesn't want to be stated that Harlow took the bump. Harlow needs to be the one that be should be praised for it. And it happened at Battle Club Pro, not other places, like when people were reposting that, saying, hey, if you want to see the craziest stuff, check this spot out. Or, oh, look what I did, but not giving the brand credit. Anyway, because of that nuts spot, Harlow gets an interview on Cultaholic. That interview gets heard by a kid in Kilmarnock, Scotland. That kid in Kilmartix, Scotland, comes to America to learn to be an actor. His love of wrestling brings him to the fallout shelter. That kid is K.J. Mack. Oh, wow. So from a spot in May of 2021, you get the social media attention that allows Harlow to do a podcast with a very prominent YouTube channel. Yes. They have a huge following, especially overseas in the uk this kid who loves the business who literally was not going to be part of it until all these things kind of aligned here's the podcast harlow puts over the fallout the way it should be something is done and you love something and you love a company harlow's always been pro battle club we always love her for it so that gets heard by kj kj comes here now kj is doing bookings in scotland he's going to do a booking in denmark all that stemmed from that him show. coming to the pull out. Right. So like so that's a beautiful example of how social media can come full circle and be a great tool for promotion, a great tool for spreading the word, a great tool for having things seen all over the place.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy nowadays, especially with IWTV and depending on you know. You never know who's watching is the big thing, and and I think that's the takeaway from your your story right there. When it comes to dealing with talent, I've noticed this as well. Doing numerous interviews, sometimes talent gets a big ego pretty soon. Um, as being the bosses, what how do you guys handle situations where somebody might be a little difficult to deal with, or may think they're ready for something that they're not? Is that a difficult conversation to have with them, or if somebody claims that they want to have X amount of dollars. How do you handle the, the not-so-fun discussions with people? <clears throat> um,
0: for the last nine years, I've done conflict resolution in the Department of Education for New York, first in a charter and then in the public schools. Um, so having those difficult conversations was something that was doing already. Um. I have been blessed to not have many of those really tough conversations, Um, mostly because I'm for paying a wrestler what they feel like they deserve. Of course, you haggle because it's a business and you try to stick to a budget. right? Um, But, you know, I'll never be someone that'll be like, hey, I'm going to put you in this match where you get destroyed for 15 minutes and I'm going to pay you 10 bucks. That's disgusting to me. That shouldn't be the way it is. I don't care what the platform is or what the exposure might be. Like, You should pay somebody appropriately. If they ask for a number and it's not quite in your budget, you try to come to that happy medium between both. Um, in terms of like attitude and ego, I really haven't had that um, to deal with. But it also could be a proponent of me just understanding, okay, well, it's time to have a conversation with this person. Let this person feel validated and let's try to come to that point where everything's understood and comprehended and everybody's just fine. Um, I don't shy away from the confrontation. Um, I guess that's another reason why it works for me. But personally, I don't feel like I've had that, like, oh, this person's too big for their britches or they want something that they shouldn't have. I mean, there's been issues where it's like, hey, I'm not cool with X, Y, and Z. So I was like, all right, well, I'm presenting you A, B, and C. Okay, I don't like any of those options. Okay, so here's one, two, and three. And then you, you kind of come around. Um, the other thing is that, like, I always make sure I try to take care of talent as best as I can. So I'm hoping that it's one of those situations like, oh, he's a good egg. Work with him, and he'll work with you. Um. It's tough. I mean, has it happened? Of course it's happened, but it's never been one of those like, oh my god, I can't have this conversation or I don't know how to have it. Like, everyone's everyone's human. So validate me and, and I'll validate you and let's just talk. I mean, there's it's there's almost never a reason to just completely oh, I'm off the show or I'm not going to do like, there's some, some middle ground everybody can come to. So um I would say the the worst interaction I had was a talent was on my end, they weren't very reachable when I reached out. And then they reached out and it was during the show. And like I said, I didn't have all the help I, I had previously. So I was swamped. So the talent had gotten to the venue, pulled me to the side, and we spoke. Um, I heard their issues. I said, you're completely right. How can I make it up to you? X, Y, and Z. Okay. Here you go. And it's really like that. It's, I don't push myself upon anybody. So I don't feel like someone should push themselves on me. It's always, Hey, let's just figure this out. Um, and I think that's, that's the best way to go about it. Um, if you're not forcing, I, you know, a direction onto someone, they should be willing to, to listen to you. If you're not forcing it, if you have something, here we go. Oh, okay, fine. But it's just, it's all about conversation, tone, manner, comprehension, you know, being willing to have that negotiation. You know, a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh man, you know, we're talking money or we're talking creative direction. It's like, I don't think it's that hard because, hey, this is what I have envisioned. If you want something else, okay, provide me with the answer and let's see if we can together come to that resolution. But if you're not going to provide me, an alternative answer, then you just not being happy with what's going on. Is it going to work? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like yep. if you want to change something, okay, well, how do we get there? If we Come can't figure the out table
1: with the it, suggestion.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. but yeah, for the, for the most part, I would say since 2016, we're now in 2022 in six years, I'd say maybe three times it's been problematic In all the shows I've done, between Battle Club, uh, the Lab, uh, Innovative, you know, anything I've ever been part of creatively whatsoever, like maybe three times it's been an issue, Um, and those those got resolved relatively quickly.
1: It seems like your demeanor and your way of handling, like we talked about, conflict resolution or just interpersonal relationships in general. I think you foster that very much that feeling of you can come to me and talk to me. And I think that's what your company, every company has a a culture or a feeling to it, right? And that's why people want to come back and work for certain companies. And I think that's kind of the vibe that your company gives off. And I think just from hearing you speak, that's why there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of issues because they know hey if there's an issue we can talk this out i can be heard it's not a situation of you know this dictator saying x y and z this is the way it's going to go you know what it's a dance it's a little bit of a give and take
0: yeah yeah and that's the same way in the ring like you know you can only look as good as your part uh, your opponent's going to make you look so you know if i want you on my show and you're not necessarily happy with the spot you have, if you just open up, okay, well, how can we make this work? Uh, if we can't make it work at this show, how can we make it work at the next show? Like, It's, it's easy. You, you nailed it right on the head. It's a dance, and you're only ever going to look as good as you're willing to make someone else look, because then they'll reciprocate.
1: You've done this for, gosh, now. Can you believe it's been six years since... Uh, no.
0: No, I burned. can't. Um, what I can say is I'm happy because... The pandemic screwed everything but we did get a show in 2020 and we got a show in 2021 so we are i feel like one of the few companies that although there was a break that was forced upon us we still have something every year since our inception and unfortunately there have been companies that were unable to do that um so it has legitimately been six years um nah man i blink you know just the other day my nephew bought his first car and i'm like you were two yesterday. So like time, <laughs> time flies, you know? Um, when I tell, I, I just had a birthday and people go, hold are you now. I'm like, Oh, I'm 37. They're like, there's no way you're 37. I'm like, I'm 37. Look at my ID. They're like, Holy shit. It's like, yeah, I don't know where the time went either. Yesterday I was 24 trying to find someone to be the mother of my child. Now I'm 37 and I have 30 kids that are wrestling babies, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's wild to think of not only, Personally, where I was just professionally, and I mean, the world itself, where it was in 2016.
1: In, in wrestling, we often hear people say different stories about, you know, traveling, being on the road, and, and especially being the owner of a, of a promotion. It never stops. Your phone's always on, you're always looking at your emails. You got to have downtime, though. You gotta have it to, just to make yourself not go crazy. How do you balance running a promotion and your personal life and being able to know? Okay, at a certain point in time, I got to turn it off and I got to I got to be me. So, how does that work as far as the way you balance it? And what are some of the things that you like to do that absolutely have nothing to do with pro wrestling? So,
0: uh, I'm going to tell you personally, like, there's no balance. It is. No matter what, even when I get a chance to turn it off, it's like eighty-five fifteen wrestling. But when that 15 comes up, whether it's hanging out with friends or my family or just literally turning everything off and being alone, just away from the world for a day or two. What I do is I like, you know, I love podcasts. Uh, I love uh True crime, um, uh, oh my god, paranormal kind of podcast, like things of that nature. uh, Comic book movies, comic book shows. uh, Huge fan of like Doctor Who, all the Marvel series, uh, the Star Wars series. Like I nerd out away from wrestling, and it help. Honestly, it helps me because then when I'm back in wrestling mode, it's like, hey, I saw the doctor do this thing once. How can we make this happen in wrestling? Or, hey, uh, I'll, again, I'm i use KJ Mack as an example. He had a title match with Steve Pena, and he came out with his face half painted like Darth Maul. It's like those things, I feel like you have to have an outlet so that they, your battery can recharge, but then you can also be inspired to do other stuff in pro wrestling.
1: It's funny you mentioned that uh, that you like true crime and whatnot. I think we were talking to God. I hope I don't get this wrong. I want to see say the the Beer City Bruiser, and he's into paranormal as well. And I think he does a podcast as well. Once again, gosh, I hope I'm not getting my my memories confused here. But it's so interesting because we do hear very similar interests outside of wrestling, such as comic books. Um, We do hear a lot of true crime stuff. And so it's like it's weird how everyone somehow – has all of these things that line up that they're interested in. And I think because it does involve, like you said before, you can take various aspects of either one of them and they're interchangeable. And it's very much in that same realm. And I think if you appeal or something appeals to you in one sector, then these other sectors are gonna appeal to you as well.
0: Um, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, On top of that, it's like bringing it back to what you had said earlier, social media and technology is so far advanced, like 40 years ago, you couldn't get Doctor Who on demand. Mm -hmm. BBC wasn't really an option unless you were paying satellite or whatever the case may be. So people who weren't so affluent nowadays have access to all of that because of streaming services. Um, I feel like, and it's not to say no one nowadays is unique or special, but I feel like because everything is so easily accessible, I feel like most people have a lot of things in common because most people like a lot of things. There are very few niche things that people are into. And now with the way things are, when you're very into a small market, a small, you know, environment, a small atmosphere, or whatever that case may be, you find yourself actually involved in it because it's like, I, I, I'm in it now. Like I can do it, you know, you know, if it's, you know, let's say it's burlesque or, uh, photography or um, music, like you have those little tiny, like things that are unique. You almost always end up in it somehow because you've become, you've, you've become so infatuated and you've loved it so much. Does, there's no there's no other place to go. Like how often have you sat there and you're like, man, I'd love to talk to that wrestler. And now you're in a position where you can actually talk to them. It's like you love this thing so much it becomes a part of you and you end up becoming a part of it, Um, which is great. It still has, you know, place for people who just want to be fans, and that's wonderful in itself. But because of this DIY revolution with technology and people being more in the forefront of putting themselves and their goals uh, at the top of their list, you get those spots where – Mittens is now part of a wrestling show instead of just being the fan that's always in the corner of the entrance for every wrestling show ever. You get those spots where like uh, uh, what's going to happen August 19th, Black Girl Magic, uh, Spice Beagle goes from being someone who's trained to be a wrestler to realizing, hey, there's an even a smaller subculture of pro wrestling that I can bring to the forefront, which is just 100 percent black women wrestling so like those things are now possible because of everything that is going on all the advances in technology you know a person that you would have to you know 25 30 years ago have to go through an agent to speak to it's as simple as a booking email or a message on instagram and if they hit you back the conversation has been started but that was that's that's today that's never what it would have been you know 40 years ago tape trading between the territories was amazing yes. because you couldn't see the wrestling from portland oregon that you would see in albuquerque new mexico yep. or you know chicago illinois or detroit michigan like everything was different so that's why tape trading was oh man i'll give you these guys and you give me these guys and why that worked is because a talent from that territory. Hey, I came from here. To check out this talent, this town. They say the best wrestlers here. You get those promos now people become interested. That is all now at the click of this. Yep. So, you know, circling back to what I you know, the question is like, yeah, I feel like everybody's got their hands in everything because it's all easily accessible. So, you know, even the most random thing I could possibly say that I'm into, I'm sure someone else has mentioned it because absolutely, it, it's accessible.
1: No, I agree. I agree hundred percent. Um, with everything that's going on, how do you find that there's time for a school? I to me, it seems like, oh my God, you you're running the business, you're trying to figure all this stuff out. The company's growing, it's thriving, it's succeeding. Yes, you definitely want to have the opportunities to to train your own guys and and obviously cultivate all of this and the empire to grow. But my gosh, where do you find time in the day to say, you know what? We're going to continue the company. We're going to have an extension to the brand. It's going to be our own wrestling school. It's like, wh- where do you so, squeeze the time out? Tell me how that conversation started and how it finally came to fruition.
0: Um, uh, a school was, like I said, it was always in the books. Um, Carlos and I, we were driving the he – he made the purchase of our wrestling ring excuse me in 2017 we were driving the ring from 2017 yeah it was 2017 we were driving the ring from um it was after the august show it was yeah we were driving the ring from the bronx to jersey um and in in that thing we 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 talked about running an all women's show running a show out of a, out of state that wasn't new jersey and building a wrestling school Carlos and I got to do the, we did multiple all women's shows as partners and we did a show in Connecticut. So we were able to knock those two things off our list. The one thing that we didn't do as partners was the wrestling school. Um, But that was the idea as far back as then. Um, What really brought out the need to create a wrestling school was the wrestling, the speaking out movement, the, you know. Hey, we're we're not gonna take this anymore. And it was just like wrestling's gross when it's gross. Yeah. You know, it's not always gross, but when it is, it's just like
1: there's a dark side.
0: There's so so dark. Um, and finding like-minded people, you know, like Carlos, like Janelle, like Red, uh, like Mr. Martinez of Federated, like the gift god Hokai, like. You find these like minded people, it's like, yo, we love this thing so much, we need to fix it. And it's not going to be just us, it's going to be a you know, it's going to take a community to change the perception of what wrestling is. Um, but literally, what happened was I threw it out there, hey, let's open a wrestling school. Mr. Martinez was like, okay, we found a spot, I had a ring. Then the mission was to find four people who don't have a disgusting reputation in the business, um, four people who are genuinely good workers and can teach without being demeaning. So it was three originally, and we brought uh, Jorge on later, but uh, that ended up being Masha Slamovich, Mike Law, and Steve Pena. Um, at the time, it was three people who really didn't get, they're just due, even though they were that good. Now, it's <laughs> Masha's all over the world. Yeah. Masha's the most dangerous women's wrestler in at Impact. I don't think there's any question about it. She's unbelievably talented, but it's something I've known for a while. But now everybody's starting to get to see it. Um, now, the mission as a promoter and as someone who wants to see people succeed is to get, you know, Mike Law, Horizonte, and Steve Peña on those same levels. But it was predominantly finding people, again, like-minded vision, long-term goal of changing the business for the better, good reputations, and solid inward work. Because you know, if the person's not good in the ring, how are you gonna want to learn from them? You know? If the person can't lock up, how am I supposed to learn to lock up from you? You know, and it's also one of those things where like who we say trains you actually trains you. There's no like, hey, this is the figurehead. This is their school. And then when you get there, it's just people that were trained somewhere else to train you. Right. But no, our coaches train you. Um, and yeah, again, just building from the ground up, wanting to make people successful, wanting to make the business better. It was just all of that, and it's funny. It's just it never seems. It was one of those. It's one of those quotes where it's like, "What's the biggest lie someone told you?" Uh, it's not that easy, and the person was confused at the times. Like, what do you mean it's not that easy? No, no, that's the biggest lie. It's not that easy. It literally was me saying, "Let's open a wrestling school," and having someone with the ball sack and the integrity that I have to to match my energy. Go, okay, let's do it.
1: So many things, so many projects you've taken under your, your wing, and just, just hearing the vibe from you, it, it's not done yet. I guarantee there's so many things floating around in that head of yours that you're thinking, you know what? We really need a this, or you know what the business needs? I think we could be on the cutting edge if we started to introduce this. I think that's what wrestling needs. It needs young, innovative people in there who, like you said before, are willing to buck the old guard and willing to say no this is going to be a good place this is going to be a good business where people treat each other with respect i think much like a lot of things whether you're talking about society and and racism and this and that i feel like when you have enough of a positive movement all of a sudden that old stuff starts to move out and at some point in time you're going to get to a point where that's going to be a memory a a distant memory and then a new beginning and a new rebirth can happen let me ask you this and i know we're we're getting low here on time here. I'm
0: okay. There's school going on. I'm here till like 11 anyway. I just couldn't start exactly at eight. So (laughs) you're
1: fine. What, um, when it comes to the online aspect of it, and and we talked about how, you know, how this whole story started is you were in the, the forum and you were chatting with people. Do you feel like the negativity in some ways from fans has gotten exponentially greater just by the fact that they have a voice now and, 140 characters and whatnot. Do you feel like people are more apt to speak out and sometimes take pot shots when the reality is it's a, the social media thing's great, as we said before, but it can definitely be very uh, bad on the other side?
0: I think it's it goes back to how accessible everything is and how revolutionary technology is. I think it's always been there, but I think, you know, 2030. 40 years ago, you didn't hear it. But now like you said everyone's got a voice, so now everyone can simply just take to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever the hell, TikTok, and say what they want. Um, I think the issue really lies in not entertaining the negative energy. Um I think it's from The Rock's book, where if you focus on yourself, you grow. If you focus on shit, shit grows. Yeah. So everyone's gonna have you. You no one's no one's great. No one's universally loved. No one's universally the best ever. So you're always gonna have someone with a negative critique or a negative response. It's how you choose to go for it. Um, I do my best not to engage in negativity. I just I, I don't think it serves any purpose. It takes so much energy to just feed that flame. Um, Have I done it? Absolutely. Every, no one's perfect. No one's, you know, I'm human. I've done it. Um, I've had to catch myself. I've, I'll be honest. I've done it as recently as about a year ago uh, with the whole swole thing. Like if TK was standing in front of me, I would, you big bozo energy, bro. How are you going to sit there and tell someone who was trained by George South, who was a shine champion, who's a champion at my promotion, their wrestling's not that good. Bump before you do anything. Like, to critique, bump. I don't wrestle. But I've never thrown someone in the ring without doing something. There are people who can give you personal stories. I've tossed myself around that ring. It sucks. It hurts. If you don't do it right, it's going to hurt for a long time. Um, So to critique someone and not know exactly what it is they're doing is just harsh. You can say, hey, maybe if his response was, I didn't enjoy her performances as much as I should have. That's more understandable because you're signing the checks. So if you're not enjoying a product, why continue to pay for it? Right. But to sit there and say someone's not good enough is weird. So, you know, like I said, I've done it. It, It's hard because I was also being protective of someone I genuinely believe in. Absolutely. Um, She's, you know, she's gone out of her way to thank me multiple times for being the first promoter to fly her out to somewhere. Um, I didn't think much of it because I just saw her and I was like, she's amazing. She's fly. I have to bring her up here. She probably won't get exposure up here if I don't. Um, but I think it's all about feeding. it. I think it's always been there. I think it's just, like you said, it's more accessible. So now people can be heard. And You know, if you feed those negative comments, those negative reactions, it's going to grow. It's going to happen. You know, those things go viral because of, you know, people wanting to see anarchy and chaos. And some people just get off on it. But I think if you break it down, overwhelmingly, there's more positive to it, but that doesn't seem to get spread more because it's not the hot take. It's not the, oh, this is the juicy thing. Let's see if we can get these two two or three people to feud over. You know, it's like, there's there's so much positive. Man, every day, um, Santana tweets another day. That's such a positive message. Simply because you were, your eyes opened up. That'll get, you know, he's got Tens of thousands of followers. I think he crossed the 100,000 mark not too long ago. That'll get like 300 likes and retweets. But then someone will say something ostracizing, you know, Tony Khan or MJF or whatever the case may be, thousands of retweets. Why? Because they want to feed the flame. They want to see that. And it's just like there's no point in it. Why it's happening, I don't know. I don't care to speculate. But I think that there's just – there's more positivity than negativity. It just doesn't garner the same attention for whatever reason. Um, so that's my stance on it. It's like, don't entertain it. Don't entertain the BS. Find what you like and focus on that.
1: So you're doing all these things, and it seems like you have a battery that how many hours of sleep do you get a night? Realistically, no BS here. You don't look um, tired at all to me. I mean, you may be tired, but you hide <laughs> it very well. How tired? do you normally get during the course of the day? I mean, Very. what time do you finally shut it down and say, all right, this is, this is it going to bed. Um, I know it's such a random question my, to ask, but no,
0: no, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. My, my average day starts at 7am and I'm ready to knock out, like legitimately ready to sleep at 2am. So it's about, it's about five hours of sleep every day um unless something fun is happening or unless nothing at all like last night i was able to get seven hours of sleep which is that's why i don't look tired today (laughs) i just got two more hours of sleep so it's like oh wow i'm asleep um it's usually five hours but this isn't it's it's not really it doesn't really have anything to do with wrestling um in high school I went to high school in Coney Island and it's on the other side of Brooklyn. So I'm very comfortable taking a specific route. And that route took about an hour and a half, Uh, sometimes an hour and 45 minutes if I would wait for one of my closest friends. So I just got accustomed to waking up crazy early. And then like after school, I never really been on that side of Brooklyn. So I was exploring, I had a girlfriend, I had my closest friends and it ended up just ha- like a habit, just habit kind of turned into my lifestyle of five hours of sleep is enough. It's more, more often than not four hours of sleep. Um, but in that time frame, you know, I work my multiple jobs. I do the booking for battle club. I, you know, if someone asked me for some help for bookings, I reach out. Um, there's really great news concerning some of the fallout kids coming up. Like, I always try to take a seat and be like, who would I need in this moment? And I try to be that person for whoever it is that needs help in
1: that moment. As much as you say, you feel like you've meant to do pro wrestling. You also mentioned in a prior interview, you always felt like you were meant to work with kids. And I'm a teacher as well. My wife is a teacher. We have a long history of teachers in our family and we both worked inner city charter um, once again, that could be for another conversation because there's inherent challenges there as well. But I think at the end of the day, if you can reach somebody, I think that is the single most important thing. Um, I taught inner city this past year and some of the toughest kids you didn't think you would get to, you know, you, you don't, am I going to, am I able to connect with them? Uh, I had a couple of tears and hugs as you're walking out the door on the last day. And I tell you what, no matter how much fighting or violence or this or that, or, I man, you don't know what they're going home to, but the fact that they did that on your very last day as you're walking to your car, that right there is a the reason why you do it. And just like wrestling, you know what I mean? Through all the ups and the downs, if there's that moment that says that's why we do it, it's right there, and it's it's very, very special. So are you still in the education uh, profession as well?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um... <laughs> I say, unless by some miracle I get paid six figures to do something in wrestling, I can't see myself getting out of education. I also come from a long lineage of people that love to work. Like, like my dad had—he worked until he was just physically unable to. Um, and it's not like he was not capable. It's just like where he was working, and he was asthmatic. The company was like, "Dude, you can retire, chill." He's like, "I'm good. No." You can retire, chill. Um, my grandfather, or at least the man that I recognize as my grandfather, um, even with, he had nerve issues, but even with nerve issues, he was always building something. He was always trying to do fishing. Like, uh, And then, like I said, my, my grandmother and my mother, you know, when something needed to get done, that's who I turned to. So, like, seeing those examples growing up, it's just like, I can't see myself getting out of, education anytime soon because I'm always gonna think in the back of my head there could be a kid that I could do something for that could change their life forever like I seven years ago I was in a situation where I had to remove something from a student that was dangerous that student is now part of our US services Wow like that yeah. That little thing right there. Um, I had a kid who had tons of trouble literally just getting to class. And that kid is now driving for a living. Like, and yes, it's, just, it's just those little ironic things. Like, you could never get here in time. But now your job is to make sure other people get to places in time. Yep. Yeah. Um, my, like my, my nephew, uh, you know, he was a knucklehead, he was a lot like me, you know, always horse playing and roughhousing. And like I said, he just bought his first car. He's living in a different state. It's just like, you know, I brought I bring my nephew up because he was in the charter school I was working at. So it's just it's just those situations, you know. I can't see it because there's you're, – you're always going to come across a kid that needs something, whatever, however minuscule it might be, however major it might be. Um, and if I could help, I'll do so. Um, I commend you and thank you, man. Because teaching is tough. I'm literally like, my job is to work on the conflict resolution team. It's literally building those relationships um, because I work with the special education population. Um, it's just about keeping them out of crisis, keeping them from having, you know, physical altercations. Uh, If things are going on at home, I work with the social workers and the guidance counselors and admin to make sure that they're safe. Um, So I think I have the benefit of not having to focus on academics, but literally, you know, be that person to turn to for social emotional growth that, you know, the school kind of tends to look at team as like, oh, that's the go to that's everybody's fallback is room, you know, room 204. Um, and I love it. I love it. I love it with all my heart. Even, you know, when I do my rounds and, you know, I go from speaking to, you know, what is designated as a six one to one student and having him or her light up to, you know, a designated 12 one to one student and they're telling me, oh, you know, I want to go to college or I want to get my GED and then from here go to college. Like those relationships, you know every single morning, just going through those motions, doing my rounds, checking in on everybody, every classroom, every teacher, every staff member. I love that. I love that. And it, it's hard. There's the, there's days you get up and the coffee wasn't strong enough <laughs> or, you know, you know, the dinner last night didn't sit well, or, you know, the, the projected four hours of sleep was more like two. Um, but you, you can you can attest to it. There's almost almost every single day, even the rough days, there's there's that moment where you're like, Yep, this this is worth it. This is worth it. Wouldn't so give I, it up. I wouldn't do anything. It. And like I said, unless I'm getting paid six figures to do something in wrestling, I can't see myself out of the education.
1: I got so much respect for what you do within the, the education world. I mean, I can put my fan, my fandom aside here for wrestling because the conflict resolution and, and being able to help kids with life lessons and talking to them as people. I feel like students in a lot of ways, they need that more than they need the academics. They need to know that they're valued. They need to know that they're respected. And they need to be able to have an outlet of somebody they can actually talk to. And the humanistic side, I feel like we've gotten away from. And I feel like it's sad because it's all these standardized tests. It's all about this. It's all about GPA. You know what? Not everybody's cut out to be a 4.0 student. But I feel like a lot of kids, especially nowadays, they don't have the adult support that they need. And they're 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 jonesing for that something terrible. And I noticed a couple of kids, one girl said, you know why I give, she said this to me. She said, you know, I give you shit a lot. I said, I could give you a demerit for that point. She said, well, then I guess I won't tell you what my compliment's going to be. I said, all right, that's fine. So she said, because you care. And I was just like, wow. I had one girl come up to me, and uh, it was after Christmas break. And some of my kids, and you may notice this, they don't want to go on breaks. They don't want to go on summer vacation. They don't want to go home. You know, I want to stay with Mr. Freeland's class. So I was running late, and uh, homeroom ends at 740. I think I rolled in like 738. My principal knew, and she said, uh, what the F are you doing? And she had tears in her eyes. She said, I thought you left. I thought you left me. And for a second, I thought she was joking like, no, I didn't No, she was real. Why? Because she probably felt that way. She probably felt that people have walked out of her life. So it's though, like you said before, it is those moments that you will take. And when the last bell rings, when you go home for the summer, you will replay those things in your mind. And that will tell you, okay, no matter how I felt about X, Y, and Z, that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Because these kids need these people. These people need us. And you know what? Honestly, we need them. Because I yeah. learned a lot of things that crap I I I wouldn't have known. You know. And yeah. uh, it's a it's a very symbiotic relationship, and it's awesome. And uh, I mean, I'm not trying to give a a promotional video for getting in the world of teaching, but I tell you what, kids nowadays they absolutely need somebody. So if you can be a yes. part of Big Brothers Big Sisters, if you yeah. can mentor someone or even tutor somebody. Please give a, a local student or a child some time because like you said before, the, the, the kids that you got that graduated, look what they're doing now and look at the the fact that you might have had a, a big part of that and, and never discredit that. So Yeah, and it's it's uh
0: the hardest people to love need love the most. Amen. Um, and you're you're hundred percent right because it's 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 not yeah, 20, 30, 40 years ago like you could work at a Walmart and afford a house. Yep. Now, you can't afford a, an apartment if you only work at Walmart. You need to work more than one place. So like, yeah, the the home, the at-home feeling is much more different. It's much more of a system. It's it's like let's kind of do the conveyor belt of, well, let's pass these kids along. Let's get their GPAs, let's see where you know, where they would land in terms of real life and just push them out the door. So, yeah, that uh, it's crucial. It's it's it, with everything. The most important part is the relationship. And a lot of people just seem to forget that you get a lot of these new teachers who they're like, they won't listen to my class. Have you built a relationship? Well, no, I'm, I'm here to teach. That's where you fail. If they cannot connect with you on any level, how are yeah. they going to learn from you? Bringing that back to the fallout shelter. If my coaches can't lock up, how are they supposed to teach you the bump? You know? So if you can't show this child who's trusting you with their future that you can build a connection, how are they supposed to want to learn from you? You You're 100% right, man. You're 100% right.
1: You switch the word wrestling and you switch the word school and – The statements and the scenarios are all the same. It all turns down, it all boils down to trust relationship and every business is a people business. Man. Um, I, I tell you what, before we wrap this up here, Tell me a little bit about what are some upcoming shows, how can people follow you guys, social medias, the Twitter book, the Facebook, the Twitch face, all that stuff. I'm not super familiar because I'm old, so give us all the details, and uh, we'll go ahead and we'll also make sure we post all this stuff on our uh, Twitter page as well. So it is Plugomania, the floor is yours. All right, so um,
0: this Sunday, actually, as part of Black WrestleFest weekend uh, right here in Brooklyn, We're having a show. It's Welcome to War. I I think I'm going to make this year a year of sequels. So we had WCW 2, which was originally planned for the show after our first show, the year the pandemic hit. So we finally got to do the second version, the second part of WCW. Uh, So we're doing Welcome to War, which is a sequel to Welcome to War back in 2018. Um, We have uh, Big Swole, our icons champions in action against Willow Nightingale. Oh, love she Willow Nightingale. Was, love, that's going to be
1: absolutely that's gonna be
0: a banger right there. Um, she's such a ball of energy. Oh, my goodness. I adore her. Um, our franchise champion, Mick Drake, is going to face Moses of Shane Taylor Promotions. Shane Taylor is going to face Dan Moff in a match that blows my mind how those two hosses have never tried to destroy a city in a ring before <laughs> um, uh, our tag team champion's uh, main event. Um the greatest show in professional wrestling. They're going to face a new tag team uh, as part of the federated brand in brothers Saiv and Treehouse Lee, um, Darius Carter, wrestling's rich, richest prize, the latest ECWA Super Eight winner, um, multiple championships. He's going to be facing Gia Scott, who is pretty much known as Jonathan Gresham's like star pupil. So, like you're having that, you know, and she had a. Crazy great match against Masha Slamovich at WCW2. Uh, Steve Pena, like I said, coach at the Fallout. Guy's built like an action figure. He's such a wonderful worker. He's going to be having a massive match against O'Shea Edwards, former ROH talent of Shane Taylor Promotion, part of Federated. So, like, you're just getting these incredible matches. Uh, We're going to have representation from the South in Zuka King, Yaya, and and Rihan Re, is uh, they're they're collectively known as Jabba Tears South. They're going to be facing prolific, very prominent trios up in the Northeast. But legitimate trios, just people who would say they're trios, and they're like you see them that they're a genuine trios team. Um, man, uh, two more people who train at the Fallout Rimbrand and Cosmic. Cosmic's already secured a future Icons title match. Whoever P-P-P-Dub the champion, match. right? Um. And they're going to face the team of Jordan Blade and Joseph Alexander, two genuine grapplers, two shooters, two people who know the mat inside and out. It's the first time they're teaming. But, you know, if you watch their stuff, it just seems to make so much sense that they would pair off with each other. It's crazy. I, I, you know, like I said, this this is the the part I really enjoy, getting these matches together and be like, wow, how, how, how hasn't this happened? Or, oh, this was great the first time it happened. Let's see how we can improve on it. Um, we're bringing Mysterious Q up from Texas. He's going to be facing two more people who train at the fallout and Big Cuzzo and Anthony Gamble, the captain. I mean, it's just, you know, it's going to sound weird, but it's like it's a point of pride that no one on this card is not seasoned, is what I like to say. Like, they're they're Caribbean, they're Dominican, they're Puerto Rican, they're African-American. You know, they're of some kind of culture. And as part of Black WrestleFest weekend, which is this wonderful convention that's being put on by Pretty Heels um, in conjunction with Battle Club, in conjunction with jobber Tears and all these, you know, podcast roles, storyline tea, fake Jackson's going to make an appearance. Like, it's just a mind-boggling weekend that's happening Juneteenth weekend in Brooklyn. It just really doesn't get more prophetic than The stars are lining. Yeah. Um, So that is our immediate show. That's this Sunday. Um, You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, Battle Club Pro. You can find it there. Um, Tickets are available for just the show on Brown Paper Tickets. If you want uh, tickets to the whole convention, BlackWrestleFest.com. The show after this one the show following this one will be a job slam a, a joint show in conjunction with Jabber tears podcast. It was a huge success last year. Um, we're looking forward to doing that. You know, it's going to be a thematic kind of thing. Uh, if you guys are into the nineties, you're going to love this show. Um, but again, using the platform to see people that I grew up with that I looked up to and giving them that opportunity to excel and showcase what they can do. I'm all for it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, if anyone's interested in, in following me or hitting me up at Joe I'm very plain. Nothing special about any of my social media handles. Um, Battle Club's also on TikTok and YouTube. If you want to follow them, um, it's all there. It's all there. It's all accessible. All our stuff's on TitleMatch.com. Title Match is great. Um, they just—I just recently. I don't know how many promoters do this or people who, you know have faith in the talent that they book. But like, uh, I personally is, you know, took a uh, JC storm and cosmic to the ladies night out show. I made that eight, eight hour drive because I wanted to be there for that, for them. And they killed it. Um, I'm working on some more stuff for them. Uh, as long as, like I said, some other full out students. Uh, I'm not against making, you know, long drives because it's, it's different. You know, and you know, everyone loves Hulk guy the give God for being able to see all oh, this wrestling on, you know, through gifts on Twitter, but you don't get the feel of that pro wrestler unless you're there live. So I try to make it a point to be there live, you know, not just to go to Ridgefield Park, which is a very common place that people run to. You know, i recently went to the H2O building for Wrestlers Lab for the first time. That was wonderful. That was one of the best shows they had. Check it out. Show a Bunga on IWTV. Um, there's a bunch of bunch of beautiful places all over. You know, I would love to go see. I was really considering buying tickets to Prestige uh, to see th- that card that they put on. It was unfreaking real. Uh, PWG, uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. Like this, just there's so much wonderful wrestling, and I think everyone should get out as much as possible to go check it out. And you know, just you know, promotional me coming out. But
1: are you a father? I am not. My wife and I uh, have been in the trying process, and uh, it, it, man. It's it's a tough one, but not not yet.
0: Well, how great would it be? Like, hey, for Father's Day, I'm taking you to a wrestling show.
1: Oh I'm not gosh. gonna buy
0: you a, a crappy $20 tie, I'll spend my $20 to bring you to a show, and you can get see some live action. Like, I think that's one of the best gifts you could give someone. Um, so, like yeah, on top of it being Juneteenth, on top of it being part of Black Wrestle Fest, on top of it being in Brooklyn, in one of the most revered parts because of the music connection with Jay-Z and Biggie and being in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, it's Father's Day. And I know many fathers who would be like, I'm tired of getting socks on this day. <laughs> who, if their kids was like, hey, I'll take you to a wrestling show. Boom, eyes will light up. Like, are you serious? So. You know, if there are any kids out there that want to do something special for their dad, that's different. At yeah, 3 p.m. is bell. 2 p.m. is doors. If you get those VIP tickets, you get an in-ring experience before the show. I think it's dope, man. Um, you know, again, selfishly, I'm, I'm obviously going to plug my stuff. But, man, I really try my best to be different, um, to be genuine. Again, this, is, this is not me looking to line my pockets. Off the backs of people who are killing themselves, this is me trying to make sure that those people get contracts and get generational wealth because they're putting their body on the line for something they believe in so much. And I just want to be something that helps propel them to that next level.
1: And that, my friend, is what makes you very special in this industry and somebody we are very lucky to have in the world of wrestling. Um guys, please by all means go ahead and follow him on social media. I'm gonna go ahead and get all the information uh after we're done with the interview, so I can go ahead and post that as well. But that sounds like you've got so many great things happening at the promotion, the wrestling school. Um, is there any chance we could uh twist your arm to come back and, and talk more wrestling? Oh man,
0: I yeah, I'm I'm absolutely I'm all I'm fair game. You know, like I said, it's we can start at eight <laughs> fifteen instead of eight, that's fine. Um but yeah, yeah, I I I love these things because to to me it, it blows my mind why anybody wants to talk to me to begin with. Um, but it's just it's just one of those things where all of the podcasts I've done have been on the positive end, and that's all I would like to continue to spread is positivity. Um, you know, positivity through a platform that I love. Um, and I'm all, I'm all, I'm always down to come in. We could you know you want to bring me back and we talk nothing in terms of wrestling that'd be fine with me. You want to talk everything in terms of wrestling. 80s wrestling, 90s wrestling, whatever the case may be, I'm all for it. Oh,
1: definitely- we're, we're just opening Pandora's box, my friend, here. If you want to if you want to open up some of those canisters, man, we could go down memory lane, and I have a <laughs> feeling we could definitely have some great conversations. Definitely. Guys, I'm, I'm with you, man. it has been so much fun, like I said, getting a chance to talk to you. Um, I'm going to put all the social media links up there, but uh, this will be a big event for you, and I'm so happy for you, and I'm going to continue to let everybody know about the event leading up to it. Thank you so much,
0: man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for this. This is awesome.
1: All right, man. I had a great time. Thank you so much, and we'll talk yeah. to you down the road. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Jokey Morales uh, with Battle Club Pro Wrestling. What an incredible person. I mean, in that, what was an hour, a little over an hour, we found out so much about his philosophy on life, his philosophy on business, um, the way he wants to have wrestling change and how he wants to treat people. And that's the biggest thing here as well is when you get into the wrestling business, you don't get into it thinking that you're going to make a lot of money. Hell, hell, he and I both know we don't get into the education business because you think you're going to be wealthy. You get into it because it's something that has special meaning to you. It has a special place in your heart. And I know it sounds kind of sappy whatnot, but I mean, it's true. And I think in a lot of ways, when you talk to people from different avenues in the world of wrestling, they all seem to have a very similar philosophy. You know what? I love it. I know you love it. Let's go ahead and let's see if we can make this happen. And if we can go ahead and make enough money to pay our bills, and then I can see you rise up and, and maybe get a contract, like he said, I think that's kind of the ultimate. I think it kind of parallels seeing a student who struggles in the classroom and all of a sudden you see them walk across the stage at graduation. They get their diploma. So many different parallels there. Very interesting to get to know the personal side of somebody in wrestling. It's not always something that we get to do, but in these interviews, we get to touch upon the business side and the personal side as well. The big event is going to be coming up. I'm going to be promoting the daylights out of that thing. Follow him on social media. I'm going to make sure that we get all of those information uh, sent out. And yeah, this has been fun. Guys, this has been enjoyable. Thank you so much for letting us come into your uh, your earbuds, your iPods, your whatever the hell you listen to this on. Uh, just thanks for listening. This is what makes wrestling so much fun is getting to talk, and that's what I do. I'm a talking head. I got a microphone, and I get to talk to some of the most amazing people in the business that I love more than anything else. That's going to do it. I am Mike Freeland. I will catch you on the next episode of the Front Row Material Brand. The rule of